My name is Veronica Kim, and you are now listening to Unity in Christ. From time to time, we see children running around in restaurants. It is cute watching them. However, sometimes they get a little out of control and annoy the other guests. When this happens, we wish the parents would calm them down. But I heard that some parents leave them alone for fear they would make their kids depressed. As a parent myself, I have experienced children having difficulty staying in one place for a long time. My kids also want to move around as soon as they are done eating. Of course, at home, they may be excused to do so. But in restaurants, we teach them to be patient and to mind their manners so as not to disturb other customers. I find this natural for parents to educate their children. If we truly love our children, we are to diligently discipline them, not according to our emotions, but because of our love for them. You may think I want to share today's study on disciplining our children, but it is not about disciplining children. Rather, it is about our emotion and will. The relationship between emotion and will is like the relationship between little children and their parents. Like little kids, our emotions want to immediately be put into action. If we are feeling anger, we want to let it out. If we find something fun, we want to enjoy it. If we feel sad, we want to cry. And if we feel disappointed, we have a long or an unhappy face. Surprisingly, most of us respond to our emotions. We act out when we feel anger. We cry when we feel sad. We sulk when we are downcast, and we continue to do things that we enjoy. What do you think? Don't you all agree? Don't you think that our emotions control our actions? Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow.
I told you that our emotions and will are like the relationship between little children and their parents. If we live according to our emotions, it is similar to parents being driven by their children's wants and desires. Good parents discipline their children. They are not controlled by their children. However, they do not force their children. They listen to their children, consider their desires, and always make the best decision for their children in order to build up their value system. Our will is the same. It does not mean unconditionally suppressing our emotions. It is different from self-control. Like parents who listen to their children's emotions, they consider them, but they do not solely act according to them. Just as parents listen to and teach their children to judge what is right and wrong and act accordingly, our will also listens to our emotions and teaches us to judge ourselves and act accordingly. For example, let us imagine someone lied to us and harmed us greatly. Our first emotion would be anger. Those who have self-discipline will suppress their emotions and not get angry. But the Bible does not say that it is wrong to get angry. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says, Even though we are angry, we're not to sin and not to harbor the anger until the sun goes down. In this case, when we are angry, our will can tell our emotions, Yes, I can be angry that he or she has wronged me. It was bad to lie and harm me. After thoroughly processing our emotions, we can tell it this, following the word of God. The Bible said not to sin even when we are angry and not to harbor anger until the sun goes down. That I should not sin by accusing or hating that person even though I am mad. I will just tell my thoughts to my Lord and let it go. Jesus said, do not resist an evil person and to turn our left cheek to those who strike our right. He also said to give our cloak to those who want our tunic. And if someone forces me to go one mile, we ought to walk two miles with him. Yes, although I am angry, I should not act out in anger because it is not what Jesus wants. I should do what Jesus said to do. Our will should discipline our emotions.
Coming up next is sermon by Pastor David Platt of Radical. Today's topic is the gospel and manhood, part two, based on Psalm chapter 128. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor David. Now, what that leads to is verse 3 and the picture of the family around. And the picture here is so beautiful. As opposed to the contemporary culture picture that we have of a man sitting around his table to watch TV with his kids at dinner. What we've got is a man who sits around and this is what he sees. A wife who is like a fruitful vine within the house. Sons like olive shoots around the table. And this is where the email that my dad had sent me parallels Psalm 128 so clearly. Truth number three. Dad taught me that a wife is a treasure to be cherished. A wife is a treasure to be cherished. He wrote, the best part, David, about being a father is that I have the best wife and mother of my children. That's exactly what Psalm 128 is giving. It's giving us a picture of a wife like royalty in the home treated with great value and significance. Don't miss this. Notice what the psalmist is not saying here. He's not saying that the husband is blessed when he gets home and he looks around at all his stuff. The husband is blessed when he gets home and he looks around at all the 401ks that he has built up and the retirement account he's built up to leave stuff for them. He says he gets home and he looks around and the blessing of God is evident in his wife. Look at his wife and you'll see the effect of this man on a woman. What an incredible picture. A fruitful vine. The imagery in the Old Testament of a fruitful vine is, is rich. It goes back to some of what we were talking about last week, the blessing of God being evident and childbearing and productivity and how we talked about in the New Testament. The picture changes. It's not just about physical offspring, but spiritual offspring. But the picture is definitely a wife who is productive with her life because of the influence of this man upon her, her husband upon her. Related to the whole childbearing thing, you go to Song of Solomon, the not-so-PG part of the Bible, and you will find there this picture of a fruitful vine and, and a wife's fruit pleasing her husband. We'll just stop there, but it, it's a picture of the intimacy between a husband and his wife. Not just fruitfulness, but faithfulness. A fruitful vine within your house. It's a picture that we have over in Proverbs 31, and we talked about this when we talked about the gospel and womanhood. It's not a picture of a woman being confined to her house 24-7, but the picture is she is leading her house. She's not going after other pursuits to the neglect of leading her home to be a God-centered home, a God-centered family, has the fragrance of God in it. This is the picture. It's the result of the husband who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. I have no doubt, my two brothers and my sister have no doubt that we have a dad who valued his wife. Best part about being a father is that I have the best wife and the mother of my children. He was always telling us, like a broken record, the story of sitting in a worship service one night, this girl coming over, and there was a seat empty next to him, and she plopped down right next to him. And that was the word he'd always use. He was every time. She plopped down right next to me, and that girl just happened to be my mom. How they went, and Tommy, as he was called in those days, uh, would be making pies for everybody to come over, and he was the real social guy, and so everybody would come over, and so mom was lured by his pies. And before dad died unexpectedly from that heart attack, 
you go to this screensaver at home and you see a picture of the chapel where he and mom were married. My dad was not afraid to show affection for his wife and I praise God for that. It's funny, Heather and I were joking around about this uh, the other day. First six months we were married before we moved down to seminary, we were actually living with mom and dad. Every once in a while we'd come up and watch a movie at night, so Heather and I'd be cuddled up on this couch over here, and so mom and dad would start cuddling up over this couch. It's like, don't look, don't look. <laughs> he would uh, bake pecan cinnamon rolls and take them to mom at work. Just a few weeks before he passed away, I called him one Friday night and unexpectedly found him on a surprise date with mom and gone out for dinner and a movie. It's a picture of a dad who treasured, cherished his wife, loved to listen to her play the piano. Mom has played piano for years and had always made her promise that if when he passed away that she would play the piano at his funeral, and she did. My dad loved being with his wife, loved playing with his wife, loved joking with his wife. A wife is a treasure to be cherished. And similarly, your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Children, fourth truth, children are a gift to be nurtured. A gift to be nurtured. Like olive shoots around the table. Olive plants were important, extremely important this day. They had so many different uses. They had medicinal uses. They had nutritional uses. And the picture here is of a plant that is long-lasting in its impact. Olive plants had much longevity, but the picture here in Psalm 128 is olive shoots, not plants. They're still growing. They're still developing, not bearing all their fruit at this point. This brings great encouragement when I look at around my table and see the two-year-old and the six-month-old. Maybe not bearing all the fruit yet, but one day, one day, the picture is a long-lasting impact in a wife and children because of the influence of a man who fears God and walks with God. And this is the picture we keep coming back to over and over again in this whole series as we look at the family. We look from the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis 2 all the way throughout. And what we see over and over and over again is that God in his sovereign grace and his sovereign wisdom has established a man, husband, a father as the leader of a home, as the head of a home. And this is the reality with which Scripture confronts every man, husband, father in this room. You and I, we will lead our homes. That is not a question. We will lead our homes. The question is not, will we lead our homes? The question is, how will we lead our homes? It's inevitable. The marks of our leadership will be across our homes, will be across our wives and across our children's lives. The question is not, will we affect our wife? The question is, how will we affect our wives? The question is not, will we be examples to our children? The question is, what kind of examples will we be to our children? And the picture is, Developing olive shoots around your table, loving, leading them, nurturing them. And there are so many different ways to do that, so many different ways my dad nurtured us. And they span the gamut. You have jello slurping contests at the table. You have just every once in a while rampant food fights. I remember vividly running after dad with the macaroni and cheese. His mom yelled for us to stop. 
I remember waking up. This is how uh, mom was very gentle in the way she would wake us up. Dad, on the other hand, would bring a cup of ice down and pour it down our back. That is cruel way to wake someone up. But it, it, it got the job done. Dad coached the Muppets and Sting and the Jackets and the Panthers and the Generals and the Expos and the White Sox and countless other teams. Not just coaching, though. You know how when you get to high school, dad's coaching, no longer in the picture. You got the professionals, the coaches there at the school that are going to do that. Well, that wasn't enough for dad. And so dad would, uh, I remember my two brothers, they were playing football in high school. Dad would uh, get off work early. Again, your tax dollars at work. He would get off work early and he would go and he would stand outside the fence and he would watch football practice every single day. I'm not exaggerating. There are no other parents out there. Nobody, nobody wants to watch practice. Nobody likes to be in practice. Who likes practice? Dad would go, not just coach, but he'd go and watch practice. There were all kinds of things Dad did. He took us uh, late night camping when we were young. He took us late night Waffle House trips when we were a little older. He taught us a lot about teamwork in some interesting ways. Probably my favorite way was what I call the the Platt family uh, binge Coke purchasing. Uh, This is how it would work. The grocery store, you know, once a year or so, would have a sale on uh, cans of Coke. But the deal was there was a, a limit on how much you could get. And so what we would do is we'd all pile up in the van and we'd drive to the grocery store together and we'd get out and kind of huddle around and, and dad would give each of us, uh, four siblings, uh, four of us children and then mom and dad and he'd give us each of us a $20 bill and he'd say, all right, let's go. And we would fan out. We would separate from that point. We'd each go and inconspicuously get our different cards and peruse over at different points to the, uh, the, <laughs> the cases of Coke and we would, we would Pile them on. I mean, this is my younger sister, Amy, just a little girl at this point, just piling on cases of Coke. (laughs) And then eventually you would see six different checkout lines with plats represented in them. All of them with cases of Coke piled high and would be set for the rest of the year. This was teamwork. This is what it was was about. Dad would stay up uh, late at night. During the Christmas season, it was cold outside. He'd take a heater out into the camper and put together action figures family bike rides just a couple of weeks before he passed away. He was outpacing all of us. And then there were, uh, there were Wednesday nights with dad. This is something he did during each of our senior years in high school where we would finish any activities we had going on, whether church activities or ball, this or that. And we would meet dad for dinner. And every single Wednesday night during my senior year, I'd meet dad and we'd sit down and we'd talk about life and relationships and school, everything under the sun. He had just started this time with my younger sister, Amy. They were doing Wednesday nights at the mall. They would go to the mall and they would, they would eat there and she would go shopping while he had a book. My dad invested his life in nurturing his children. He laid down his life for that purpose. The favor of God is found in the fear of God and the wisdom of God is found in the word of God. He taught me that a wife is a treasure to be cherished and children are a gift to be nurtured. These last three truths all flow together and talk about the life of a life that counts, a man's life that counts. Truth number five, my dad taught me the life that counts flows from the presence of God, flows from the presence of God. Verse five, may the Lord 
bless you from Zion all the days of your life. You read that kind of stuff in the Old Testament. Let's talk about Zion. What's that all about? Well, it's referencing Jerusalem. It's referencing specifically the temple in Jerusalem where the glory and the presence of God dwelled among his people. Don't forget this is an Old Testament picture. This is why they would travel to Jerusalem because if you want to encounter the presence of God in the Old Testament, you want to encounter the glory of God in the Old Testament, experience his glory and his presence, then you go to the temple and you journey there This is a big deal. And this is where the gospel radically changes the picture of families here when it comes to this kind of journey. Because the reality is you get to the pages of the New Testament. Jesus dies on a cross and rises from the grave and he sends his spirit. And all of a sudden our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the reality is we're not going on any journeys. Praise God. We don't go on family trips without minivans all the way to Jerusalem every year. Multiple times a year. Picture is, don't miss this. Men, husbands, fathers in this room, because of the gospel, don't miss this. How the gospel radically changes your role in your home, my role in my home. We do not pull the family together and take a trip to Jerusalem so we can go encounter the presence and the glory of God. And we certainly don't put kids in the car every week and go Sunday to a building to encounter the presence and the glory of God. That is Old Testament faith, Old Testament religion. It's being practiced all across this culture today, and it's not New Testament faith. It's not New Testament reality because there is no place Any man, husband, or father who walks with Christ, who knows Christ, no place you need to pack up your kids and take them to because the reality is you bring the presence and the glory of God into your home. You want your kids, your wife, to encounter the presence of God and the glory of God? Then rise up and show them. Your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and not just men, women, all who trust in Christ. But the reality here, the picture is, you tie what we've got here in Psalm 128. The blessing of God flowing from the temple of God, flowing from the presence of God, and you bring that into the gospel picture we have in the New Testament. The reality is, men, when we wake up our wives in the morning, we wake up our children in the morning, the presence of God, the glory of God is intended to flow from our lives. The blessing of God intended to flow from our lives. We are the temple. When we sit around the table for dinner at night to let the presence and the glory and the blessing of God flow from us. Is this a reality, a day-to-day reality in your home? Yes. Yes, my dad taught me to swing a bat. And yes, my dad taught me to shoot a ball. But before he did either of those, my dad taught me to pray. He taught me to experience the presence of God. In family prayer times, before we would go to bed, I remember getting in ruts where I would pray something just real quick and real rote so I could go on up to bed. And dad would stop me and say, David, this is the time where we express our hearts to God. And God is to be sought, is to be found. This is the picture. Man, husbands, fathers, to lead a home, seeks God, enjoys, experiences the glory and the presence of God in the home, not at church, not New Testament reality, not at church. We are the church. The church is in the home. The church is your family experiencing the glory and the presence of God there in your home. How can this be a reality in your home? Intentionally, how can you let the presence of God, glory of God, flow from you onto your children and your, your wife all throughout your home? Leads to this next truth. Number six, the life that counts advances the gospel of God. 
It's not just the presence of God saturating a home, but the effect of that saturation on the people of God. Look at this. The life that counts advances the gospel of God. Listen to what it says, end of verse 5. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. Here's where the scope of Psalm 128 just broadens. And it's not just about one family anymore, not just about one man and his wife and his children. The picture is the prosperity and the blessing of God in the entire people of God. That's what Jerusalem stood for. You want to see the blessing of God on the people of God? Look at Jerusalem. This is what the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are all about. They're rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. Why? Because they want the blessing of God to be restored there amongst the people of God, and as a result, they will display the character of God to all the nations around them. And so the picture is a man who is blessed in his home with his wife and his children in such a way that it builds up the community of faith and displays the character of God to the world. Isn't this the great need of our day? Men and husbands and fathers to lead wives and children to, yes, experience the presence of God in the home, the glory of God and the word of God flowing and saturating in the home in such a way when that happens in individual families all across this room, that's not the end game. The end game is a community of faith that is strong and that is built up and that is displaying the character of God in Birmingham and all nations, advancing the gospel of God as the people of God are growing. This is the picture. Is Is this why we're leading our families, men? Are we leading our families for the sake of our wives, for the sake of our children, but not just for the sake of our wives and children, for the sake of the church? And not just for the sake of the church, but for the sake of the character of God displayed to a lost and dying world. This is a lesson. I I was looking back this week through uh, other emails and letters that Dad had written to me. And he wrote me this email when he was, struggling with how to respond in a certain situation, a situation of conflict in the church. And I want you to hear what was driving his thinking. He wrote, Dave, my responsibility is to do all I can to influence those without Christ to come to Christ. If this means I should lose or be wronged in the process, I should not fight but accept the faith that as long as I'm being a positive witness, I am on the correct side. You hear the picture of Psalm 120 hit there? It's not about being wrong or right. How does this go against the grain? It's about the glory of God displayed from the church to the world. My responsibility is to do all I can to influence those without Christ to come to Christ. This is the responsibility of the husband, the father, the man to lead home to show character of Christ to the world, to build up the church, the community of faith. Man, this is a cause worth rising up for. Is this what is driving us? Are our children, gentlemen, are our children learning from us how to advance the gospel? Have our children heard from us how to share the gospel? Have our wives seen in us how to share the gospel, how to proclaim the gospel? This is far more important than teaching how to swing the bat or shoot the ball, how to advance the kingdom, how to build up the church. These these are the things that count. 
And all of it leads to this last truth. The life that counts flows from the presence of God and advances the gospel of God, the kingdom of God. And the life that counts multiplies the glory of God. The life that counts multiplies the glory of God. The last part of the chapter, verse 6. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem, and may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. What a picture. May you live to see your children's children. This is the blessedness of the man. Started Psalm 128. You've got a man surrounded at the table by these olive shoots, not grown up, not developed yet. The picture is now they are olive plants and they are bearing fruit. And what happens is around those olive plants come more olive shoots. And the blessing of God displayed in the privilege he entrusts to this man in Psalm 128 who has the opportunity to see before him the legacy that he has passed down, not just to his sons and daughters, but to them in such a way that they are now passing it down to their sons and daughters. And the legacy of the word of God and the fear of God being passed down to an entirely new generation indirectly through him. This is an incredible picture of blessing. It is far greater than anyone, any 401k or retirement account can provide to any man in this room. It is the confidence, it is the investment of our lives and the lives of those around us, our wife and children, so that children beyond, wives and husbands beyond, experience the blessing of God and walk in the fear of God. And you live to see your children's children. Can I be completely honest with you? This is the part of Psalm 128 that I struggle with most. It is an incredible picture of the blessing of God. And I see so much evidence of the blessing of God in my own dad's life. But the reality is, he uh, did not live to see Caleb or Joshua. We, we laugh. We laugh because we, uh, we see him in Joshua. Not so much in Caleb. There's some different circumstances there. Whole adoption thing. But we laugh because we see him in Joshua. In fact, let me, uh, I want to show you this on the screen. I'll show you a picture of dad. We always joked around with dad because he had he was kind of losing some hair on top, and he had about 10 hairs that would kind of wave around in the wind, and sometimes they'd be on the side, and sometimes they'd be kind of hanging up here, and sometimes they'd go just all over the place, and you can see them. They're kind of on the side over there on the left side of that picture. We were with Joshua this last week, and the wind was blowing. I want to show you a picture of our son. There it is. You see, you see the 10 hairs on top there? Yeah, they're just, uh, they're, yeah, they're a reflection of uh, my dad. Does this mean that he did not live to see his children's children, does this mean that he missed out on the blessing of God? I don't believe so. And here's why. It's a secret. And I believe my, my dad knew. God receives great glory in the man who loves and serves his family. And the fruit of that man's life is not just evident in this world. The fruit of that man's life is such that it carries into the world to come. And the reality is, 
My dad did not live to see these two precious sons of mine, but I pray that the glory of God that he multiplied into my life, I pray that it's being multiplied all across this church. I pray that it's being multiplied in places God gives me the privilege of going and serving and teaching and training, and I pray that ultimately it will be multiplied in my two sons' lives, and they will have the privilege one day of seeing their granddad, and they will experience how loud he sings when they bow around the throne of Jesus Christ with him and sing his glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. This is worth living for. This is the life that counts. Men, husbands, fathers, family, our families, our homes are too important. They are eternally important. And so I pray that you are encouraged, pray that you are challenged to find the favor of God and great fear of God, to experience wisdom of God and your home flows from the word of God in your heart. Cherish the treasure that is your wife and nurture the gift in your children we've been given to make our lives count by demonstrating, letting the presence of God, Spirit of God flow from us, advancing the kingdom of God, the gospel of God, and multiplying the glory of God in a way that generations from now, should the Lord tarry and not come back, generations from now, people will be singing the praises of God as a result of the way we have led our families. God, may it be so. This is the picture of the gospel and manhood.
Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. You can easily play this week's or past week's program, or even download them on your device in just a few minutes. Search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes stores now. Following is a program called If Anyone Wishes to Come After Me. Hello, listeners. This is Brian Winston, your host of the series If Anyone Wishes to Come After Me. Previously, we share that disciples of Jesus abide in His words. I said that dwelling on His words means to keep yourselves in the truth without any shaking. We also talked about the love that is one level higher than expected, as Jesus asked His disciples. We shared that Jesus gave us the command to love as He loves us, not to love our neighbors as well as ourselves. Did you dwell in the word of Jesus, and did you love one another as he commanded? Jesus also told this very important message to his disciples after his comments to love one another in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Let's read the passage together. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus explained about abiding and not abiding in Him and dwelling in Him through the Word to His disciples. In doing this, Jesus likened Himself to the vine, and He likened His disciples to the branches. Previously, we talked about the meaning of dwelling. Now, what does Jesus say about those who abide or dwell in Jesus Christ? He said that they bear much fruit. Conversely, those who do not abide in Him cannot bear fruit. What do we need to check in order to tell if someone is a true disciple of Jesus Christ? We need to look to see if they bear fruit and what kind of fruit it is. What is fruit? What kind of fruit do you think you would see in the branches of the disciples who were attached to the vine of Jesus? When we talk about fruits, we usually associate them with revival. We relate them with a ministry and with growth. So, if we are looking at situations such as church members growing in the church, growing missionary field, growing cell groups, increasing offerings, and increasing budgets, then we say that is bearing much fruit. However, the fruit Jesus is talking about is more than that. First of all, in John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus revealed that he is the true vine. Being the true vine, means there is a vine that is not true. The Bible says that this is a worthless vine. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 2, 
God hoped to plant the choicest vine and expected it to produce good grapes. Why did it produce only worthless ones? The worthless grape is a grape that is rotten and sour. So by comparison, Jesus was talking about a true vine, not a vine that bears worthless grapes. We see that the fruit is not the same as the fruit bore through the words of the Bible. Let's come back to the main point. What is the fruit that Jesus is referring to? The fruit that Jesus mentioned comes from the tree or Jesus. When you are attached to the tree, the fruit is not rotten and sour. The fruit from branches attached to the tree of Jesus results in the character of Jesus Christ. It looks like Jesus, and as we shared last time, Jesus denied himself and went down a narrow path and through the narrow gate. His was a character and shape obedient to death, for by the will of God, not his will. We ourselves cannot bear this fruit. That is because such a good thing could not exist within us. We bear fruit only if we are attached to the tree, to Jesus, and if we receive nourishment and obtain life from the tree. Even if members of your church are growing, if there is an increase in the budget, even if you are building a larger building, we must check to see if the fruits are coming from the tree of Jesus. So many worthless grapes are produced in this world. The odor of the fruit reeks and you can hardly eat it because it's so sour. The true vine called Jesus does not bear such a fruit. These fruits were produced because they were not attached to the true vine of Jesus Christ. Now I'm asking you again, how do we know whether a person is a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Is it through their fruit? Yes, we can know whether he is a true disciple of Christ when we look at the fruit. Fruit that is not rotten and that is not sour is fruit from the character of Jesus Christ. The fruit that would deny oneself, take up his own cross, the fruit that would serve rather than be served, the fruit that would entrust to the Heavenly Father without any fight, even in persecution and ridicule, the fruit that would reveal the glory of God the Father, not his own glory, the fruit that would want to be doing the will of the Father, even while asking, if possible, to move the cup of suffering, we can recognize that the fruit of obedience to the death would be born. Now please ask yourselves, are you a true disciple of Jesus? How do you know? What types of fruits do you see in your life? Are you a branch attached to a vine of Jesus Christ? Are you receiving life from Him, receiving nutrients from Him, and living, learning, and following His character? Please go back to Jesus Christ. Please attach to Him. Only He is your life. Please be His true disciple. This concludes this week's episode of the series, If Anyone Wishes to Come After Me. I thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you this week. Human sin mostly comes from emotions. It is not what our will wants. We sin when our will fails to discipline our emotions. We sin not because we do not know this, but because we are unsuccessful in disciplining our emotions. 
Apostle Paul describes such a phenomenon in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. We are angry, although we know we shouldn't be. We hate someone, even though we know we ought not to. We enjoy doing things we know we shouldn't. On the other hand, we know we ought to love, yet we don't. We know we should serve others, but we don't. We know we are to act now, but we don't. Parents are not qualified to be parents when they give up on disciplining their children. For the future of their children, parents are to discipline, guide, and correct them. This must be done if they love their children. The Bible also testifies to this as an appearance of a loving father. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. This is from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Our emotions are like little children, and our will is their parents. What does your childlike emotion want you to do? What is it asking you to do? How do you discipline and teach your emotions? Are you being a foolish parent, controlled and driven by your emotions? I want you to consider this. Jesus freed us from the power of sin by dying on the cross. He has moved us from death to life and from the status of being a child of sin to a child of righteousness. He has changed us from a child of Satan to a child of God. This is not a merely a symbolic meaning that we will go to heaven after death. This is a telling of the word that we are freed from the power of sin. You and I are freed from sin by the power of Jesus Christ and the guidance and protection of the Holy Spirit living within us. If we know this and continue to sin, it is like continuing to live in prison as a prisoner though you have been acquitted. We do not need to sin engulfed by our emotions because we can discipline our emotions. If our emotions want to take control of us and if our desires want to overpower us, our will must firmly speak out. That is not what I want. We know without a doubt that our emotions are not the master of ourselves. Apostle Paul confessed that he beat his body and made it his slave as his devotion to faith while he lived as a messenger of the good news. You and I are the same. As we live the life of devotion to faith, we ought to discipline ourselves and obey the word of Jesus Christ. Without it, we cannot win or finish the race. Dear listeners of Heart and Soul, Start disciplining your emotions. By the word of Jesus Christ in his power and with his guidance, start to discipline ourselves so we will surely grow to please our Heavenly Father. I encourage you to learn to discipline your emotions like good parents. This ends our Unity in Christ program for today. I hope to see all of you again next week. Have a wonderful week and God bless. Thank you.
the path is steep and the mountain high if I rise or fall if I'm weak or strong whether great or small this will be my song my God will supply all my needs according to his word according to his riches and glory my God will supply all my needs according to his word according to his riches and According to his word, according to his riches and